As you know, we wrapped up a 10-part series on the Upside Down Kingdom last week. And as we wrapped up that series, I was praying for the last few weeks, what, what's an appropriate follow-up to a series such as an Upside Down Kingdom series on the Kingdom of God? And we dealt with some pretty heavy ideas and topics in that series. We dealt with ideas that were paradigm shifting, hopefully for you, when you began to think about what it means to live in the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of man. And I thought, what would be tragic is if we departed that series and just thought of that series as some nice ideas that we learned about the kingdom of God, but never stopped to think about how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? What are the implications of the kingdom of God and the reality of God himself on my life and in my life? And so we want to start a three-part series, a three-week series that I've simply entitled Grow. Because often we are faced with the reality of we know we're supposed to grow as a Christian. We know we're called to grow in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And we hear these ideas about the kingdom of God and God himself. But how do I grow in my understanding and knowledge uh, and the reality of God in my life? How do the realities of God and who God is and how he works flesh themselves out in my life. In Philippians, actually, the Apostle Paul says that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say we work for our salvation. Jesus worked for our salvation. But in response to Jesus working for our salvation, we are now called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and with wonder. So what does it mean to grow? Grow in our relationship with God. Grow in our relationship with Jesus for the reality of Jesus and his work on the cross. How does that work itself out in our life? And so we're going to, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three Psalms. Psalm 1 this week, Psalm 119 next week, and Psalm 42 the following week. The Psalms, um, probably more than any other book in the Bible have been a go-to starting place for people that want to know what does it mean to grow? What does it mean to grow in my relationship with God? So appropriately for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the Psalms. Psalm 1, Psalm 119, and Psalm 42. But today we're going to be looking at Psalm 1. What does it mean to grow by meditating on the law of God? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. On Monday, I had the opportunity to go up to Philadelphia just for the day to 
start a program up there uh, at, um, at a local seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, when I was there, on the way up, I was seated in the exit row. And if you ever sat in the exit row, this can be quite a dawning task, more dawning than I think I even realized. I can't remember the last time I sat in the exit row. But you remember, if you have sat in the exit row recently, that there is the demonstration uh, for everyone seated on the airplane, but then there's a special presentation just for those six to nine people seated in the exit row. Well, the, I was jotting down a few notes about so I didn't forget them, some things that I needed to get done for this upcoming week. And the flight attendant uh, came up to the two rows of exit rows and started going through the routine, and she kindly asked, the question, do you understand what it means to sit in the exit row? And I quickly, half distracted, since I was still writing some notes to myself, I said, yes. She got up right in my face and she said, young man, do you really understand what it means to sit in the exit row? I need a firm yes or no. And I looked at her and I said, yes, I understand what it means to sit in the exit row. But as I was sitting there, I started to think, wow, I just said yes and signed up for a pretty daunting task. I have just said yes to being partly responsible for another hundred people on this aircraft. I have said yes to being able to lift a 45-pound airplane door out and use it as a flotation advice. What in the world did I just sign myself up for? Well, when the psalmist says to meditate day and night, We're confronted with this idea of meditating day and night on the law of God in verse 2. And it's interesting that the very first psalm, the kind of the gateway to the psalms and understanding what does it mean to grow in our relationship with God, that the very first thing that we're confronted with is this idea of meditation. And it's put there for a reason. The psalmist does not say, and there is a difference, the psalmist does not say, read the word of God, study the word of God. God, know the Word of God. He says, meditate on it. Why? What does it mean to meditate? What it means to meditate is to over and over and over again, running through your mind and your heart, understanding the implications of what it means to be a child of God. Over and over again, understanding what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. Over and over again, understand what does it mean for God to know me and for me to know God. You see, it's not enough for somebody just to come to you and say, hey, do you know God? What God wants us to understand is no, I want you continually, always, day and night, meditating on the law of God. And so the question begs us, if we're confronted with this call to meditate on God's law dead day and night, what does it mean to actually meditate? Well, J.I. Packer gives a great definition. J.I. Packer says, meditation is that holy place where you are contemplating over and over again the deep riches of the glorious grace of God in your life. Not enough to read, not enough enough to know, not enough just to study the law of God. We are called into a relationship where we are meditating day and night, night and day, chewing on and thinking through all of the implications 
of God's presence in our life. You see, the call to meditation, more than just studying God's Word, more than just knowing God's Word, more than just reading God's Word, meditation does this. It takes the Word of God and it turns it into a burning bush that speaks back to you so that you understand that you are in the presence of the Holy God. That is what meditation does. It turns the Word of God into a burning bush that speaks back to you. Not just reading it, not just knowing it, not just studying it. Meditating on it. Understanding what are the implications of the realities of God in my life. If God is truly loving, how does that apply to every area of my life? What are the implications of God's love? If God is sovereign, what are the implications of God's sovereignty in every area of my life? If God is holy, what are the implications of God's holiness in all areas of my life? Not just enough to know about God and His holiness and His love and His justice. Not enough to just know that we live in the upside down kingdom and that God is on His throne. He wants us to meditate on it to the point where we begin to work out the realities of these incredible truths in our life, understand that it has implications for every facet of our life. That's what meditation is. What is the promise, though? What's the promise that we're given in meditation? Why bother? You might be asking, well, what does it matter whether we meditate? I get your understanding and your definition of meditation, but what's the promise? What's the point? Why does it matter whether we meditate? Well, the psalmist gives us a couple of promises here in Psalm 1. Uh, the first promise here is, is the person that is meditating on the law of God day and night is like a tree. And, and he opposes the tree to an example of what in verse 4? That the opposite of a tree is like chaff. And he says, the person that meditates on God's word day and night is like a tree. And what does a tree offer? A tree offers substance where the chaff is nothing but hollowness inside. That the chaff might look good on the outside, but is absolutely hollow on the inside. And so many of us live our lives as if we, we live our life, lives in a make-believe fantasy land and fantasy world, hoping that everyone looks at us, that we have our act together and have it all together in life. But on the inside, we are nothing but hollow inside. But not so the person that meditates on God's Word day and night. Not so. That person is like a tree planted in the streams of water. They're able to offer substance, not like the hollow chaff. What's the other promise that we see? Not only do we see a life of substance, but we also see stability, right? It says it's a, it's a tree planted by streams of water as opposed to, in verse 4, the chaff that is not only hollow, but when the winds of life come in, when the storms of life come in, what happens? They are blown away. You see, not only is this a life marked by substance, but it's a life marked by stability. Not blown away by the circumstances of life. Not blown away by the storms of life and the situations of life. You see, the tree is planted by a stream of water, and that means it has direct access to life, that it could, we could go months and months without rain, but because I have direct access to the living streams of water, since I have direct access to life, 
I can allow the storms of life to roll in and not be blown over. It's a life marked by stability, by meditating on God's law day and night. Elizabeth Elliot said, joy isn't the absence of trouble. Listen to this. Joy isn't the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. So that when trouble can come into your life, you go, because I have the presence of God, because I am firmly planted by streams of living water, it doesn't matter what life will bring my way. I am firmly planted. The promise of meditating on God's law day and night offers a life of substance. It offers a life of stability. It's the great promise for the Christian that meditates on God's law. The question you might be asking yourself is, I understand what meditation is and I understand the promise of meditation, but how does someone meditate? What does it look like to be in a posture of meditation, a life of meditation? How does someone meditate? Well, the first thing that we have to see is what does the, uh, what does David in Psalm 1 call the Word of God? He calls it the law of the Lord. And you go, how do you know that's the Word of God? Well, isn't, isn't the law the books of Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Well, the New Testament writers and the, the gave us some clarity on what the authors in the Old Testament understood by the law. When they were referring to the first five books of the Bible, books like Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they would always use the word Moses, Moses and the prophets. But the New Testament writers chiefly understood that when they referred to the law of God, that was referring to the entire counsel of God, the entire standards of God. And so when the author says, meditate on the law of God day and night, he's not just referring to a few books in the Bible, but he's saying meditate on the whole counsel of God. So the first thing we have to understand in the call for people to meditate on God's law day and night, he's saying meditate on the whole counsel of God in such a way that it becomes the law of your life. It becomes the highest standard of your life. It becomes the standard by which there are no other standards of your life that you are ruled chiefly and supremely by the word of God, that there is no other word, that there is no other law except for the law of God reigning supremely over your life and that you live your life under submission to it. It's the first thing we have to understand. We will never be able to meditate well until we understand that our lives are lived under submission to the Word of God, the entire law and standard of God. The second thing we have to remember in how to meditate is that we understand that meditation, as I said in the opening, that meditation is not just reading or studying or knowing, but it is this deep contemplation and dependence upon the Word of God in such a way that it becomes a reality. Think about the example of the tree here in Psalm chapter 1. What does a tree do? Does the tree plant its roots in the water and, and the water comes out through the tree and the water comes out through the leaves? No, what happens? Like a tree, the water comes up through the roots and through the tree and it produces fruit. In the same way, that is meditation. 
Meditation is dependence upon the Word of God, reflecting on the Word of God in such a way over and over ago, thinking about its implications in my life until we begin to see it manifest in our life in fruit. That we begin to see the waters come up through the tree, that, which is us, planted by the streams of living water, and that we would meditate and reflect on it until it becomes a reality in my life. How does this truth about who God is and what He's done for me become a reality in my marriage and in my relationships and in my business and in my emotions? How does it become a reality in my friendships, in my kids? The way I think about suffering and pain, how does it become a reality in every area of my life? How do we meditate? We meditate by over and over again repeating it and working it out so that God changes us through it. And then lastly, how do we meditate? We meditate day and night. It's this idea of it's a constant practice. That a, t- that a tree does not grow its deep roots overnight, but it takes time. It is a discipline that happens by doing it over and over and over again. From the moment I wake up to the moment I lie my head down on the pillow, I am so immersed and dependent and meditating on the Word of God that it becomes my very life and breath. I can't imagine a minute without it. I can't breathe without it. I can't live without it. I can't function without it. This constant practice, day and night, night and day, repetition, meditating on the Word of God, on the law of God. But you might be wondering, how do I do this? I understand what it is. I understand its implications. I understand how one meditates. But where do I get the power? Where does the power come to meditate day and night and night and day? We see the answers found in verse 2 of Psalm 1. It says, His delight, the one who meditates day and night, his delight is in the law of the Lord. You see, the key, the missing piece to meditating on God's Word is the word delight. You see, until it becomes a delight, You will never have sufficient power and strength to meditate day and night and night and day. But then you might have another question. Where does the delight come from? Where does one find delight in the law of the Lord? Well, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about Jesus. And he talks about Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. And Hebrews chapter 10 alludes to Psalm 51 where it talks about, David talks about in Psalm 51 that God does not desire burnt offerings and sin offerings, but what he offers is a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is bent towards the will of God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7 Then I said, meaning Jesus, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. 
The will of God there can also be translated the law of God, the standards of God, the purposes of God. What we find in Hebrews chapter 10 is that Jesus has come to bend His will towards the will of God in such a way that the law of God becomes a delight. And then when we see Jesus on the cross, what is He doing? Is He complaining in agony? No. Jesus on the cross is doing what? Meditating on God's Word. Quoting Scripture from the very place of the cross. He is meditating on the implications of God and who God is even as He is hanging on the cross. Working out the implications of the law of God. Of the very Word of God. You see, Jesus helps us by taking on the law and fulfilling the law perfectly for us so that in response, the law of God no longer becomes a burden, but becomes the delight of our soul. That we rejoice in the thought of the law of God. That we look at the law of God as a thing of beauty. And we live our lives under it. You see, Jesus when he was standing with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he says, you could have water. And water so that you would never be thirsty again. And what does the woman at the well say? Sir, can I have this water? And what does Jesus answer? Jesus' answer is, I am the living water. You see, Jesus proclaims to that woman and proclaims to you today that I am the living water of Psalm 1. I am the living water in which you are to plant your roots firmly into so that you might have life and have it to the full. That I am the living water that you are to dig deep into and find rest in and find hope in and find life in so that my laws become your delight. See, the more you meditate on Jesus, the living water, only then does the law of God become your greatest delight. Only then can you grow in any season because of any circumstances. There's some this morning that have never placed their roots into the living water, which is Jesus. And you sit here this morning going, my life is a hollow life. My life is being tossed around in the wind and in the storms of life. And my call for you today is the call of God that you would look no further. That if you have always longed for stability, that you have always longed for life, that if you have always longed for a life that is stable and firmly planted on a rock, that you would look no further than the living waters of Jesus Christ, that you would find hope and rest and life and put your roots deep into Jesus, the living water that promises life and life to the full. There was a soldier before he was deployed to Iraq, lived in the panhandle of Florida in Pensacola, and before he left, he had three children. He wrote them a birthday card for every birthday up to the age of 18. Not only did he write them a birthday card for every birthday, he wrote them a letter for their wedding day, only to be opened and read on their day 
their very special day that they would get married, just in case he never returned from Iraq. I wouldn't be telling you this story if what? He never came home. But those three children, for 18 years, and not only on their birthday for 18 years, on the greatest day of their life, the day they got married, they were reminded year after year after year after year of their father's great love for them so that they would never forget and they would never doubt. You see, when Jesus left, the disciples panicked and said, where are you going? And Jesus calmly said, I go to my father's house to prepare a room for you. You see, that was wedding language. In the Jewish custom, the groom-to-be would always speak to his bride-to-be and say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And your life will change the day you wake up and you realize that this book, the Word of God, is God's message to you. That you are His bride and that He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue you and redeem you. Your, day, your life will change the day you wake up and realize that this book begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. Begins with a wedding in the garden and ends with a wedding in the city of God and the new heavens and the new earth. And everything else in between is a story of God's great love, great pursuing love of you through the person of Jesus Christ to rescue you, to redeem you, and to purchase for himself a bride. Meditate on that, and your life will forever be changed. Meditate on that story, and your life will never be the same. Meditate on that great love story, day and night.